Isn't it? Aren't they kind of pioneering that market? I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, they're big. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. You're more in the tree side. You're like, okay, let's plant some trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I did not know Natalie Arroyo was in Humble Roller Derby. I'm going to have to get her back she on. Is. She's hey, probably our most famous. <laughs> yeah. Our, our most, most famous player. Her name is Braun Luke Picard. That's good for branding, though, to get your guys' mm-hmm. yeah. the brand out there. So, oh, hey, totally. you're sitting right. on the board of supervisors. Supervisor Use your platform to pitch Derby to everyone. Yes. And how long have you been with the HRD? Uh, I started in 2018. Okay, so you yeah. guys kind of started around the same we time. Start, we were in the same That's boot the same camp time. together. One of them. One of them, yeah. yeah. And I joined the team in 20, fall of 2019. I think uh-huh. I was right behind I did too. you. No, I think we passed up at the same time. Oh, really? Time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fall of 2019. I did then break my arm. Right. That'll and so then I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out for a couple months. Yeah. What is a, a roller derby boot camp? Is that kind of just a dry run of what you can expect? It's actual training. Yeah, it's I mean, training camp. That's what we're supposed to call it. Training, <laughs> training camp. Yeah. yeah. Boot camp's a little more intense. We it's, want it to sound approachable, and it is. Yeah. I mean, the first one, they call it L1, level one, and you learn how to skate. And then level two, you learn how to hit and how to start playing derby. And then level three, you join the team. Mm-hmm. And so there's 16 week courses. So 16 weeks. Yeah. So you'll, um, L1 is 16 weeks. And then the following, you know, they're, they're kind of on a semester basis. So like spring will be a boot camp and then fall will be a boot camp. Mm-hmm. So you guys just get them skating and then say, now let's throw some physical violence in there. Let's start knocking people off skates. They do have to be stable. Mm-hmm. So you have to pass up. We call it passing up. So some people do L1 multiple times, especially if they don't have any skating experience. Because mm-hmm. you have to be able to stand up confidently stop turn and and yeah then most people are kind of excited to start physical contact and no one's throwing like wild hits in l2 it's it's just a little you know bumping going on i think what's the breakdown is it four weeks between l1 and l2 can you do just stay in l1 for the full 16 weeks or yeah i think that's usually how it goes like you you Start an L1, then you have to do sort of an evaluation at the end of the 16 weeks to determine if you're ready to move on to L2. And um, there's either a summer or a summer or a winter break sort of in between those camps. Oh, so it's not all in one session that no. you're passing through all three yeah. levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, so it takes, I mean, if you're doing things the, you know, the right way, I guess, and it could take up to a year to be at the point where you're ready to join L3, which is the team. Um, but some people come as transfers. Some people come with a lot of skating experience. We have a lot of park skaters who are basically ready to start doing derby stuff and go right into L2. So it's not necessarily a, a linear journey. There's there's lots of different ways to get started. Yeah, park skater, they're almost ready to go. You just have to teach them how to hit, I would imagine. And then they can kind of... Yeah, and like the game of derby also. It's, it's, there's a lot of rules. <laughs> Break that down to me for someone who is not familiar with roller derby at all. Okay, I'll try. So what it is, there are there are five players from each team out on the track at the same time. And they're both playing offense. They're both playing defense at the same time. There's one player from each team who has a star on their helmet. And that player is able to score points. And so if you can imagine the person with the star, they're called the jammer. And they are trying to get pack the, past the other team's pack. The other team's pack is trying to block them. They're trying to stop them. So there are four people trying to stop that person. But at the same time, the jammer from the other team is trying to get past the other pack. 
And people from the pack can switch to offense. So if you're in the pack, you're trying to stop one jammer. And at the same time, you're trying to help your jammer get past the other team. Um, as soon as the jammer gets past the opposite team's pack, then they're now eligible to score. They skate around the track. And as they start passing those players again, each one is a point. So that's how you score points. So instead of having a ball, you literally have a skater who's out there mm -hmm. the trying ball. to get past the other skaters. And what makes it confusing, I mean, that probably sounds confusing, but what makes it even more confusing is there's a lot of rules around, you know, how you can hit. You can't just punch each other. So there's hitting zones that you can hit. Um, the direction you have to go. So you can't, you, you're generally going in what's called derby direction, which yeah, is it's counterclockwise. Counter yeah. And did you have anything else about how the game's played? Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, there's um, like an engagement zone. You can't just throw a hit across the track. Um, you have to be within a certain amount of feet to other players. Um, yeah. As Clover said, there's a lot of rules about where you can hit people on their body and where you can hit them on the track. Um, we get called on penalties. There's officials watching, so you could get sent to the penalty box, which leaves your team down a skater. Um, yeah, it's it's a comp complicated game. <laughs> There's a lot of moving pieces in that. Yeah, There's, yeah, literally. <laughs> and the officials, there are a lot of officials. So each jammer has an official watching them, and then each pack has an official watching them. And those are just the officials on the inside of the track. And then there are officials standing on the outside of the track making sure you don't skate out so if you go outside the boundaries of the track and then you try and go right back in it's called cutting the track and you'll get a penalty mm -hmm. and all the penalties i think it's 30 seconds in the penalty box mm -hmm. and so that is like if you uh, hit someone with your forearm or you trip them or you cut the track those are all 30 seconds in the penalty box so I was, oh, yeah. I was sorry to interrupt. I was envisioning a track almost like NASCAR, mm -hmm. but you can go on and off the track. So is it shortened we in terms of what you can We play flat skate? track derby, um, which it basically means you need like a large space. I don't know what the exact dimensions <laughs> of our track are, but um, it's taped off into an oval shape. Um, so you like you can physically leave the track quite easily but if you cross those boundaries then you have you have cut the track and you must re-enter the track legally so it's not like the traditional you know 1970s bank track derby where if you leave the bank track you're flying off of a raised you know platform it's it's not like that anymore the game has slowed down quite a bit and it's gotten a lot more strategic so so we're not necessarily just flying around um you know at top speed uh, knocking each other off a bank track. There's a lot of strategy. We have uh, assigned positions, you know, with, as a jammer, there's usually three blockers and a pivot. So there's different positions as well. Yeah. And the reason it slowed down is because it looks a lot more like a, a scrum in rugby or something like that. Like the jammers are literally running into a wall. Usually it's called a tripod, three skaters on the other team that are bracing each other. And, it, and you see them just kind of fighting for a while. And so instead of like trying to go super fast, really a lot of the strategy is about from a jam, I'm a jammer. From my perspective, it's about like, how do you get past these three people trying to stop you? And from a, I'm a blocker. Yeah. yeah. And so from my perspective, it's like, how do we stop that jammer and save our points or help yeah, the, when our were, jammer? When you were saying out of bounds, that's what I was envisioning was somebody flying into the stands. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. People that's do go flying. <laughs> that does happen occasionally. <laughs> But it's a lot less like 
you know, the I think the old style was kind of almost like wrestling or something. Like WWE wrestling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was I think that people could kind of do like what do they call that? Clothesline, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, just just very yeah. theatrical. We yeah. are trying to like legitimize our sport. <laughs> and um yeah, it's played in a a very serious way, I think. Although we still have you know, we have silly names. We do. Have Some of us names. wear silly like makeup and stuff, but so we're we're still theatrical, but it's a real sport in terms of how we play it. Is that part of the idea to slow it down is to make it a little more technical and maybe not necessarily add credibility to it, but make people realize, oh yeah, this is a real thing and it is technical. I don't know if that's why the switch happened from bank track. I think the switch was really just practical. Like people couldn't afford to house these enormous bank tracks. Um, but it's really easy to set up tape in a flat concrete circle um so i think that's why that happened and i think just the natural development of the sport was like um yeah because you're not flying around this bank track uh it slows down and like how do you do that to the best of your ability well we're gonna now play in um tripods we're gonna now have strategies about what we do off the line Mm -hmm. um, things like that yeah what i've heard is that when people started to figure out you know that it's not just about racing around the track that you're trying to not let the other team score points. And so people's the whole bracing strategy really started being this huge thing where there's three people and they're in a triangle and they're bracing each other. And the jammer now has this triangle they're trying to get past. And that, I think, slowed it down a ton. Because mm-hmm. now you have one person who's able to stand backwards and is literally just stopping that wall of people, you know. And, and so it just slowed down because people aren't, they're not racing. They're they're actually kind of fighting. Yeah, it would be kind of terrifying riding towards a group of three people who want to knock you down. Oh, I'm okay. sure it's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's very scary. <laughs> it is scary. I I mean, I dislocated my finger not too long ago doing that. And, you know, people don't, I don't think that the injury rate is super high. I've heard people kind of like exaggerate how much people in derby get injured. It's a sport, so people get injured. But and it's a contact sport. And it's a contact mm-hmm. sport, but really, you know, we're, we practice a lot. And so we try not to, obviously we try not to get injured, but it is scary because you are trying to hit each other, you know, and, and even though you're best of friends and everybody spends a lot of time together, when it all comes down to it, when you're out on the track, you are trying to hit the people as hard as you can often or get around them. But um, my strategy as a jammer is often to try and hit. She hits hard too. She's very strong. Is that just because it's easier to get through them if you just plow through them as opposed to try to wait for an opening? I think it's because some jammers are really good at like very nimble and very quick on their toes. They'll stand up on their toe stops on the skates and they'll kind of dance. And I'm just not that good at that. (laughs) And so I've learned that I'm strong and I'm like, okay, I'll just kind of try and run through people. And, you know, it's, it's whatever works. So we have a jammer named Trey. Mm-hmm. who is really an incredible, like, juker, like, just on their toes all the time, and it works. There's some great skaters on our team, too, just, like, technically very good skaters, roller skaters. Well, it's probably an interesting combination you have to find between skating ability and not being afraid to hit and take a hit. Oh, yeah. I think um, the people who are not afraid to hit and uh, take a hit, end up on the team. <laughs> and those who just want to roller skate don't want to stick it out for that. What, is, what are we talking about in terms of actual contact? 
I know you said there are some different rules on where you can hit and where you can hit on the track. Yeah. So with the uh, engagement, uh, engagement zone, is that what we call a oh, target zone on your body is like um, basically anywhere from the chest to the hips um, and the upper arms and the thighs. Um, if you're facing the opposite of derby direction, that all that is fair game. So if we're all playing in a counterclockwise direction, direction, but I'm turned around facing backwards, I can just get blown up. That is, this is all fair game, right? Um, however, if somebody's hitting me from behind in derby direction, they can't hit me square in the spine. It's um, upper arms, shoulders, uh, right and left of the spine. So and the two hits. sides. Yeah, the sides. So you just can't hit somebody right in the middle of the back. Yeah. And then you can't, no, basically you can't hit their head. face. Uh-huh. Or their legs. Yeah. You can't just like kick somebody's legs out of them. You Just wash them out. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it when you're seeing people play derby is one person going in and they're hitting a lot with their shoulder and their hips into the other person's body, mm-hmm. like shoulder, hips. And yeah, if somebody's facing you, you can hit anywhere. So they'll hit the stomach or chest or whatever. Um and so it's it looks a little bit more like it's a little bit like tackling maybe, um, except you never lead with your head. So yeah. So you could actually go almost like Superman style and take them out as long as you're hitting one of those points of contact. Or I'm not sure what you mean by that. You can't. Superman you can't like with your. You can't because no, you can't, you can't hit with this. Okay. So so Chowder mentioned like where you can hit other people, and also as you're hitting someone, you can only use certain parts of your body. Um, the big one is you can't use your forearms, and you'll hear there's a lot of forearm penalties. That's mm-hmm. what I get the most often because you you want to do this. It's like instinctual to yeah. like protect yeah. your body, but and, you can't. But you, you can do this That's and true. hit. It has to be connected to your body, though. You can't. Yeah. So when you're hitting someone, you can only hit with your you know shoulder down to your knees, mm-hmm. basically. But you can't like do this, and it's often very low and in sort of sweeping motion. So there's a lot of you know pushing off the track like that with the hips or the shoulder mm-hmm. with the goal being to knock the person off balance right yes. is that yep. kind of the point yeah. is you want to get them to the ground because then you don't necessarily need to get them to the ground you just need to get them out of your way or your jammers way mm-hmm. so they can pass so they can pass yes exactly okay. yeah yeah and there's a lot of people who will hit to kind of try and knock people also out of bounds off the track off the mm-hmm. track right and and that's a, a strategy also but you know, as Chowder's saying, like really a lot of the hitting is just get them off balance long enough so that the jammer can get by. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about the jammers on each side. Mm -hmm. Um, Chowder also mentioned that there's a pivot. Mm -hmm. So the other person who has something on their helmet, it's a, it's a stripe. And the pivot is the only person who can actually take the star from the jammer and become the jammer during gameplay. So the pivot is out there. That's why they're called the pivot. They can pivot from Playing in the jammer, playing in the pack, um, and then if the if their jammer is stuck, then the jammer can take the star off their head and hand it to the pivot. I'm not even sure if we mentioned the helmet covers at first. The jammer always wears a star helmet cover. Yeah, yeah, the star. Oh, did we say that? I didn't know about the pivot. (laughs) Yeah, the pivot can become the jammer, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the only person who can become the jammer. And so then all the packs are now looking at that new jammer. They become the jammer, and now they're all trying to stop the jammer. The new person. Mm -hmm. And that pass can happen very strategically also. Yeah, like the the jammer could take off their star and like kind of hide it and pretend to give it to the pivot and the pivot like pretends that they have it or whatever it is, you Mm -hmm. know, they don't have the other team. 
But um, yeah, that's most of the basic rules. <laughs> can you skate backwards? I know you said you can be turned around. So you can actually go, if you're going counterclockwise, that's the derby direction. You yep. can skate clockwise and start trying to take people you out. You can't skate clockwise, but you, you can skate backwards counterclockwise, which often happens okay, um, so because you you're be trying to visualize way. what's on the track behind you. So, Yeah, you can't skate clockwise except in certain situations so like you can do it you just can't make contact yeah and you can't break the pack (laughs) yeah it gets it gets a little complicated with the packs but but one example might be let's say that the chowder goes and knocks someone out really hard and they they get out and chowder stays inbounds chowder can actually run clockwise backwards and that person has to go in behind chowder and so because we have to keep um superior position yeah and so so that would be a situation where chowder is like running them back that's what it's called um and that can happen but it's it's really rare to ever skate clockwise and in fact in practice we call it skating in opposite direction if we just try skating in opposite opposite direction because we're so unused to it and like one side of your body develops muscles Mm -hmm. differently from the other side and so (laughs) you get a little imbalanced (laughs) So the skating does happen, but it, it's uh, rare and you you can't make contact. Like if you need to rejoin your teammates and they're down the track from you in the clockwise direction, you can go back to them and you won't be penalized unless you all are a certain distance from the rest of the pack. Yeah, and probably that's the most confusing thing for people who are watching Derby is that the two packs actually have to stay within a certain five distance five. of each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so the jammers, they can go wherever they want. Um, because they're going to try and get past the packs and then go around and 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 loop, you know, um, past them again. But the two packs actually have to stay within a certain distance of each other. So it kind of forms this cluster of skaters in one part, and that's where the gameplay is happening. That's the engagement zone. Mm-hmm. And so two of the officials are just standing there making sure that the packs basically are formed right. And um, that can seem confusing, I think, even to us, because (laughs) you'll start playing and you'll get really into it. And then suddenly you do something to to break the packs apart, to to destroy, destroy, destroy the pack. And and then you get a penalty. And and it's just because you skated too far away from from where the engagement zone is. So that actually when you were talking about slowing it down, that probably slows it down the most. There are all these rules that force people to be together. And and that means that, you know, you're you're forced to kind of be in this cluster. And I don't totally know that this is true, but I feel like the reasoning for that is that you can't just skate away from the jammer to avoid getting point like getting your points taken. And the t- two packs together enforce that. Does that make sense? Is that a thing? <laughs> Did I just make that up? I don't know. I'm not a coach. <laughs> and so when we're talking about the engagement zone here, that's just the area between the two packs. Uh, mm-hmm. Including the packs as including well. Including the mm-hmm. packs. Yeah. And then there's a certain amount of feet in front of and behind the pack that you it is also in the engagement zone. So how far can they actually be apart from each other before Ten you would get feet. flagged? Hey, that's not very far. It's not very far. But I mean, that's the nearest people to each other. So... So you could have that pretty f- you can be, spread you can be out. spread out. And like, we're really getting into the weeds here. I know. The nitty gritty. <laughs> I know. Like, let's see how good our, well, <laughs> we know our rules. <laughs> well, uh, one thing is um, people from the other, let's say that, that Chowder's in a black pack. So they're all wearing black shirts and they're trying to stop the white jammer. 
but her jammer is up, you know, her her black jammer is up against the white pack. She can actually go to the other pack and start hitting them so to help her jammer. And maybe a couple people could go up and hit the that other pack. So it's not like the packs are like just one color or one team. Mm-hmm. They start to mix a lot. And that's a huge part of it is you're playing offense. You can go over, try and hit the other pack, get your jammer through. And then you go back and you play defense and try and stop the other jammer. And and you're constantly switching like that. especially it really fast. And it happens fast. And especially really good players, they'll kind of see a moment and they'll be like, okay, I'll go help my jammer. Mm-hmm. And they'll just go and and hit a couple players and then go back and play defense. And that's a huge, a huge part of it. So was the we were talking about the scrum there in rugby for a second, and I'm envisioning that's kind of the defensive goal of the pack is to almost form a barrier between yeah. your jammer and the other team who's trying to get to them. It's kind of or that, like, and and your barrier is also like when the jammer passes your hips, that's your point that they've taken your point. Um, so if you form a barrier and they can't get past your hips, then they can't get any points on you. I think if I understood you though, also the the barrier is against the other team's jammer. Okay. Yeah. And so usually if you're playing offense, like if you're helping your jammer, you're actually going and trying to break the barrier of the other team. So they're standing in a tripod and you're like trying to take them out so that your jammer can get past them. So the, the barrier is really against the other team's jammer. You're just trying to stop her, stop them wherever they are. For folks who are like having a hard time envisioning what this looks like, there are governing body, which is Women's Flat Track Derby Association, WIFTA, has a great like one minute intro video on YouTube about like what derby is and how it's played, and it explains everything very well. Yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah, because I think describing it is really hard. You really have to see it. I think yeah to to kind of understand what it, derby looks like. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a couple videos of actual play, but it wasn't explained, and so I'm just watching this scene unfold, thinking, what? What is going? What's yeah, I think that's here? a lot of our audience. Yeah, just like what? <laughs> yeah, and. It, at our games, which our next game is September 30th mm-hmm. at 6 p.m., but at our games, it's, you know, there are rule books that we hand out, like a little program. There's an announcer who's explaining what's happening on the track. Kind of talking, down. talking the whole time, and this time it's going to be a former skater. Um, there's a scoreboard, so you can at least see, like, what the score is and get a sense of who's doing better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, there are things that will kind of, like, clue you into what's happening. The way to like watch derby, I think, when you start to be introduced to the sport is to follow the jammer. I mean, that's the point scorer, so that's the best way to start watching derby. You're not necessarily watching for who's doing offense and defense. You're kind of watching the progress of the jammer around the track. So that's a good way to start. See see the star. See if, if they make points. Follow the star. Yeah, follow the star. <laughs> How did you two get introduced to this? Why Why roller derby? I can start. Yeah. Oh, we, one of my um, best friends is a longtime uh, vet skater, uh, and I came to watch her play, and I was just so enthralled with um, the whole identity, I think, that sort of we associate with roller derby skaters. I mean, not just the sport, um, which is awesome and fun and uh, I love it, but I, I think there was something about, you know, the, this group of humans who are out here hitting each other. You know, there is sort of this long kind of romanticized history of like what roller derby is um, that I was also really interested in. And I just wanted to give it a try. And I started um, the 
the training camp and I was like, this is it. This is for me. It was a great way to make friends, um, really test your, your limits <laughs> physically and mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was similar in that I had a friend who was doing it and I, I had avoided Derby, I would say in some ways, just, I knew that it was there and I had always played a lot of sports, but I thought, I, I thought of it as, as kind of more theatrical than it was. And I went and saw it and I was, I was really impressed with the athleticism and I thought that it was something that I could do, you know, I mean that you can train to do. And um, yeah, I, I signed up for training camp. I think the next day after I went to the first game that I saw. So it was, it was pretty much immediate. And then when you go to training camp, you really quickly realize how hard it is. And so it's like this challenge. It's something where every time you show up, you get better at it. And I started training camp. I was, I was 41. And so it's really rare to show up to something when you're in your 40s and to get better at it as opposed to get worse, which is what, you know, I'd played soccer and I was like, I'm getting slower and slower. And then here's something where it's like, no, you're going to get better pretty much every time you show up. And it's been, you know, so we have players who go from, I think, 18 is maybe the youngest. 18 to like 45. It's a huge age range or more. Yeah, more. More. Oh, okay, more. (laughs) That's a pretty broad range. It is. Yeah. And it takes all kinds, all body types, all heights. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just it's a really inclusive sport. And uh, everybody has an advantage, you know, based on who they are and how they play. Yeah, so we have some players who I think would not have ever called themselves athletic before doing derby? I think I'm one of them. Okay. I was like a theater kid. I never did sports. <laughs> and then we have players who got into it because they were into sports. And it's like, this is a sport that I can do. And I would say I came at it more like that. Mm-hmm. But you kind of all go out there and it's funny how much you just forget anything, that, any preconceived notions. We have all different jobs. You know, some people are are moms. Some people, you know, they come from all kind of different backgrounds. We live all over Humboldt County and we all get out there and it's just, you're just all on a team together and you really appreciate each other and what everybody brings because there's a ton of things that people bring to the track. Um, One of our players used to play rugby. Mm -hmm. And so, and weightlift, like Olympic weightlifting. We're talking about Jess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, well, I was thinking of the rugby because she will sit there and teach us how to hit better, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then somebody else, you know, knows how to do something and, and they and they always just bring it to to the team. And because it's volunteer run and we're all kind of learning from each other, like our coaches are volunteers, too. And so we're all just out there, like figuring this out together. It's very collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be afraid if somebody said, hey, there's a former Olympic weightlifting rugby player on the other team and they're coming for you. I mean, she's that scary. Would, she's scary. Yeah, <laughs> that would cause me to pause. She's scary. I mean, she's a great teammate. But yeah, you, sure know, you guys are glad she's on your Oh, team. yeah, I love her. <laughs> totally. But she's a, she's a great teacher. Yeah, yeah, she's taught me a lot about blocking. And we're very different, like, you know, in our styles and everything. So Yeah, and you have to recognize that you're not going to be able to all do the same thing and so that's a cool thing is that when you go out there you kind of watch people that you think you could do what they do and then you try and do it because you're not going to be able to skate like somebody who's who's just completely different from you physically mm-hmm. and so we yeah we all kind of develop our own styles and often you know like you'll say some move and it, and you'll point to a player if you're trying to describe the move because they do it mm-hmm. And it's like their signature, you know, and, and nobody else 
and then you try and learn from each other. But often somebody will try something, somebody will get really good at something, and then and then you're like, okay, that's something we can try. And then they turn around and teach it to the rest of the team. Yeah, that's a cool aspect. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of learning constantly happening from all levels. Yeah, and it's not that old a sport. I think in its modern version, it's about 20, mm-hmm. 20 years old, maybe a little bit older than that. But in that time, you know, all these people have had to figure out what the sport means. And the rules have changed a little bit, but really the gameplay has changed, like figuring out how to really effectively stop like, people and and figuring out, like, I think strategies came in only fairly recently within the last 10 years like like having plays where you actually say okay we're gonna fake over here and then people are gonna all you know rush from this side and pinch the other team i mean that's all pretty new and 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 so that idea of having like a a pre like a a set play is is not something that was original to the game i didn't even think about that i thought you guys would be going out there okay we're going to pass and we're not going to get past. This is our game. <laughs> yeah, play. totally. Yeah, there's a, it's ever evolving. It's always evolving. It looks different even, I feel like, than when we started, you know, five yeah. years ago, yeah. um, which is really exciting, I think. And to watch it grow, you know, it, it sort of is this DIY movement. Uh, and suddenly, you know, we have the best skaters in the world who are being sponsored by Red Bull and things like that. So it's, it's cool to see it grow. Yeah, the best teams in the world are from Portland and New York. Those are the two sort of, I'd say. I think Victor- Victoria is. Australia. Yeah. yeah. Victoria, Australia. So there, there's several great teams and they're really fun to watch. Like if you just go on YouTube and you type in, I think. Rose City Rollers. Yeah. Rose City Rollers. Yeah. And a couple of our players recently went to skate with Rose City. We're um, very proud. That's like the We are very proud. They made it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think HRD is a really, really good team, especially for how isolated we are like it's hard to get people Mm -hmm. to come here but we have probably the best bout production of anywhere that i've ever seen we have lights we have a band live band live band (laughs) announcers concessions yeah merch sales oh wow you guys have a lot going on beer that's a good that's important important (laughs) local beer (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's a whole event and and then you know people come Again and again, most you know, a lot of people kind of come and check it out and just want to sort of party. But I would also say that as we grow in competitiveness, it, it also becomes like a lot more exciting to come and watch mm-hmm. and see. Because before COVID, the team was ranked eighty four. I think yeah, somewhere in there of like four hundred teams in the world, which in is the world. really good oh, for a tiny good. rural yeah, community. It was one of the top ranked in terms of like for for areas of our size, and so. You know, they they got so good and then COVID kind of wiped it all out and now we're rebuilding. But, you know, it's that that happens with volunteer run organizations. You know, you have to get people back on board. Our officials are all volunteers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are a nonprofit. We all have roles in running the league as well, um, whether it be, you know, committee coordinators, things like that. Well, Chowder runs PR. I run PR. I run recruitment for new skaters. And so, you know, we all have to do something to run the league. Mm-hmm. It's it's a big part of skating is not skating. Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time doing uh, not skating. <laughs> yeah, we have <laughs> doing to the business meetings. stuff. Yeah. Asking people for money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my, a lot of that's pretty easy because people in the community really love Derby. So a lot of it, you know, when we have to go fundraise, it's, you don't have to sell it. 
you know, people are pretty into it. Mm -hmm. They want to have posters up. They want to support the team. So it's not that big a sell, you know. Humboldt loves local sports. (laughs) Yeah. Humboldt's pretty good about loving local, period, which is, I think, a unique thing. I think that's why our bout production is so good. Yeah, I would imagine, especially just people wanting to come out just to support. Say, oh, you're Humboldt Roller Derby. Like, we'll come just support you for that and then figure out what roller derby is along the way. (laughs) Exactly. And the band is called the Dirty Derby Blowhards. Uh And actually, one of the band members recently joined Derby. And so she played in the band for, I think, several years and then finally wanted to come and and join the team be on the track and so now she's on the track i think that september 30th will be her first game ever so it's been really exciting like i I think that people kind of get pulled in um you know and a lot of people get burned out also there's quite a a turnover some of it is just that it takes a lot of time i mean we practice three days a week three days a week two and a half hours Mm -hmm. each practice Plus your other responsibilities, league responsibilities, it can can be quite a lot. Um, We also do have people who have been skating for 10 plus years with Humboldt Roller Derby. So, How long has Humboldt Roller Derby been a thing? It was founded in 2007 um, by a local entrepreneur and um, badass Jen McMahon. And she runs or she owns Still and Primal Decor, those local businesses. Um, and then it was officially chartered with Women's Flat Track Roller Derby um, Association in 2010. So, yeah, to the, since 2007. So not crazy old. No. Still, still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, have you guys, we were talking about the COVID thing, was it hard getting players to come back or was it just hard getting fans to come back out to the stands? It was hard getting our vet skaters to come back. <laughs> Um, a lot of folks had moved out of the area, which um, I think is really common during COVID. Yeah, I think COVID. a lot of people moved. Yeah. Um, and I think people, yeah, were just burnt out, you know, as Clover was saying, from um, years and years of dedication. <laughs> and we're just ready to take a back seat. So it, it was hard um, sort of recruiting again for the first time after three years. Yeah, I'd say that recruiting for the training camps has been super easy because a lot of people... Well, we, we had several years where we weren't able to recruit any new people. And, and you go out on the trails and stuff and Everybody's you see roller people roller skating. I think that happened during COVID. So people were excited to try and come as new skaters. But the veteran skaters, it was hard because you could see it like there was so much effort put into this league. And you just knew, okay, coming back, it's like we've got to start it all over again. Mm-hmm. We've got to start going to meetings, going to practice. Yeah. You know, like it's going to be – it took us – a year of just practicing and scrimmaging to get to the point where we could even schedule games. So, you know, it's been a long road to kind of, to get here. Yeah. It was hard to, you know, we weren't necessarily ready to host games because we didn't have enough competitive teammates. Whereas we had a huge pool of training campers, um, but not enough folks to say like, we're going to have two competitive games on this Saturday. Yeah. It's hard getting the gears fired back up again. When you've been, when they've been stagnant for a while, get people, okay, we're going to put in this amount of work again after taking X amount of time off. Totally. And I think the, some of the folks who had played in, you know, 2018, which was like Humboldt Roller Derby's peak um, of success, uh, were wanting to come back to that level of competitive play. And like the rest of us weren't at that point yet. (laughs) 
um, you know, whether because we were newer skaters uh, who had just taken a bunch of time off or there just weren't enough of us. Um, so I can totally see why, you know, it just didn't feel quite the same to come back to that. Do you guys league. have, is this a rotation team or do you have five solid team members? And then if somebody's sick, then you kind of pull from the pool. So the, the actual roster of skaters is 15 skaters on each team for games for, for the game. So you have 15 skaters on each team. So that five on the track, they're constantly ro- rotating Oh, I thought and it was we should just have, five we should, people the whole time. I know we should have told you that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh, they're okay. two minute jams. <laughs> it's two minute jams. Okay, that's a maximum. The jammer actually can stop the the lead jammer. Whoever's in the front can actually stop the jam at any point. But yeah, it's maximum two minutes, and you're pretty exhausted. I mean, you feel like you just were fighting for two minutes, and then yeah, you get a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so usually in a game, there's like a there's at least two packs, two full packs. And five jammers, and then a couple extras for the packs. So yeah, you're rotating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes okay, it happens faster. Sense. Sometimes it's yeah. not even a full two minute jam. Oh, so usually it's not a full two minute. You're jam. playing a lot. Um, the person, whoever, whichever jammer gets out front first, so gets past the other team first, is called the lead jammer, and the lead jammer can call off the jam because maybe they get out first get around and get points and they see the other jammer just got out and is about to go around and get points they can call it off and you call it off by hitting your hips and and whistle goes and it's done so you call it off to get that so that the other uh team can't get points but it does sometimes go for two minutes and it just that's the longest two minutes of your life it is so tiring and I, i once played in a game actually it was it was recently i went up to southern oregon and we played in a, a, a game against Southern Oregon where um, it, it was super fun. But I think I had three two-minute jams. I've never had that before. And I was almost like angry with the bench coach who was telling me to keep going. Because, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. It, you get so tired. Um, and I, I remember watching it the first time I, I watched Derby and I was like, yeah, it seems like they're sitting a lot. They get a lot of breaks. And you just can't believe how tired you get in in just a couple minutes. Even a, you could be out there for 30 seconds and it feels like forever. And then you sit down and then it seems like you're up and you have to go out again. Especially as the jammer, I think. For, the jammers are the ones who are sort of trying to push that forward momentum. And so it is tiring. I, I feel like packs don't want to be jammers. Mm-hmm. Whereas jammers sometimes become part of the pack kind of voluntarily, like they'll say they're you know, we've had jammers come back and say, I just, I don't want to jam and they'll become, you know, try and become part of the pack. But I do think that, uh, jammers, the easy part about being a jammer is you have one job. You're just going forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas packs, they actually have to know what's going on. So jammers are sort of just the. You're just going forward. It's You've very just got the easy. Soul focus. <laughs> yeah, like you don't think. How many people are in our league, though, in total? Right now? Yeah, I would guess like thirty. Yeah, five, maybe about thirty-five folks that and come to practice other... regularly. Oh, okay. Yeah, not not including you know volunteers and officials and all that, just gators, right? Thirty-five. Does that sound right? That's probably a high I'd estimate. I'd say a high estimate. Okay. <laughs> but before COVID, I would say that that was, there were more than 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of the 35, 
30 or 35 that we have now are new. And so, you know, they're they're figuring out how to how to go out there and the first couple of scrimmages that you play are so confusing and they happen so fast around you. <laughs> yeah, it's like chaos. One of our skaters just had her first scrimmage and you know, it's it's a really fun experience, but you get penalties constantly. You don't know what you did. Mm-hmm. You're People are like, yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, everybody's yelling at you. You don't, you don't know what's going on. It takes a few scrimmages to understand what's going on. Yeah. Got to get a couple games in. Totally. Do you, so when you do, say you do a full two minutes, what is there like a 30 second break there? No. Well, not in that two minutes. No, after the two minutes. So say oh, you yeah, do two minutes then, and then somebody calls a stop to the jam. Oh, yeah. So after the two minutes, you would go sit down on the bench because another jammer would go out. It's pretty rare that that a jammer would go two in a row. So a jammer, you have like a rotation of people going in and and they're just constantly rotating. I'm not sure what the timing is between jams, though. Like, usually it feels like the jam ends, you go sit down, the other team gets up, gets on the track, and then it begins. Like, I'm not sure what the, if there's kind of happening at the same time. It is. Yeah. The jam ends and as the players get off the track, the other, the next players are getting on the track and you go again. Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like there's a break, like somebody's calling a timeout, which is kind of what I was envisioning. You can call there. Each team has a certain amount of timeouts they can call. But um, that's not the point of ending the jam is no. to get a timeout. Oh, no. You're just swapping out yeah, players. Yeah, swapping out players. No, you okay. end the jam and actually the next team should already be on the track before the the last team, the last players are off. Okay. So they're they're always like kind of going on. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they're set up, there's a, a a whistle and then a person yells out five seconds and then the and then a whistle and it starts. So yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah, that's a pretty fast pace. How long do the matches normally last? An hour? Well, there are two 30-minute halves with a halftime in between. Um, each 30-minute half often la- often lasts longer than 30 minutes with timeouts and you know sure. official reviews and things like that. So games can go you know uh, up to two hours, I would say. That's a pretty good amount of time. I yeah. can see why you guys are practicing for two and a half <laughs> hours. It's starting to, yeah. The pieces are starting to fall into place. Yeah, and sometimes you have to play. So in, on September 30th, we're going to have to play in two games, most of us, because the first game is going to be a, an expo game. It's going to be us versus us, us. us versus us. And um, then the second game is going to be against Shasta. So a visiting team is going to come and play. But so a lot of people are going to play in both and we'll be very tired by the second one, I would mm-hmm. say. But yeah, I mean, that's that is why you practice a lot. And we all kind of depend on each other to do other things outside of it there's an expectation Mm -hmm. that you work out um a lot of us do weightlifting or hit workouts Mm -hmm. something like that Mm -hmm. you're a cyclist (laughs) i I cycle and Mm -hmm. um a couple of us do stuff like that and i think that yeah there's this expectation that your teammates are doing stuff outside of Mm -hmm. practice i would imagine you'd have to i mean if your cardio isn't in peak condition (laughs) you're going to be out there and it's going to be brutal yeah yeah yeah, and weightlifting is a huge thing. I never did hit workouts or anything until I started doing derby, mm-hmm. and it really has changed my life. Just these intense, you know, doing burpees now is something where I'm like, yep, I don't think I love them, but I like them a lot more just because I see results. Mm-hmm. Love-hate relationship. Yeah. I don't think I was somebody who would talk about my workouts much before. No. <laughs> <laughs> now we're on a podcast no, yeah. talking about it. <laughs> Taking notes. Yeah. yeah. Why the expo? Is that just to kind of show, like, 
We uh, we had a, a another team lined up to play our A team, the Redwood Rollers, and um, something was lost in translation there, and they're not able to come up anymore. But we still want to fill that double header, so we're gonna give you some more derby with us versus us. <laughs> yeah, and they're gonna come in the spring. So the team we were gonna play is gonna come back in the spring, yeah. and that's Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz. So yeah, they backed out unfortunately, but there will still be two good games. Yeah, definitely. Shasta is a longtime rival of ours. Um, they'll be playing Root Force, which is our competitive B team. Um, yeah, and then we've got another game in October on the 21st. And we've got two visiting teams lined up for that game as well. Another doubleheader. Well, kudos to you guys for still filling the airtime for the first game. Oh, yeah. Totally. I would have been like, yeah, we're, we're just going to take five. It'll be a nice little mixer. We'll have the live <laughs> band out there. No, we, when we, uh, we deliver on our promises. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll also be going up to um, the, well, I think we're going to the Dallas, Oregon for a doubleheader in November. So we're going to have our first like competitive away game in November. So we're kind of, we're getting back into the swing of it. And I believe in the spring, we're going to have a full season. Yeah, I think we're going to have a full season next year. Yeah. This is kind of just the ramp up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back in the swing of things. Yeah, usually it's like five, five games. Yeah. season is that what we call it or is it's like five in the spring and five in the fall i think so yeah it's a lot of games <laughs> and that's your guys' season mm-hmm. yep. okay damn yeah it's a lot of derby but it's great yeah i'm definitely i'm gonna have to come out and catch a game because it sounds pretty it's uh, i would like to see it in person just to kind of try to put some of the pieces together like, oh, okay, how is this out? <laughs> you said b team do you get it's a team and b team yeah, we have our, the Redwood Rollers are our competitive A team, and then we have a competitive B team, Root Force, and there's a lot of interchange between the rosters often. Um, folks will play on both. We also have two home teams, um, the North Jetty Bettys and the Widowmakers, and that is uh, just us split up so we can scrimmage each other, basically. We get put on a home team once you've passed up. And we're both Bettys. We're both Bettys. Um, and right now, the, the reason we can't play Bettys versus Widowmakers is because... We don't have enough Widows. Yeah, we don't have enough Widows. So so we're going to be playing what Black versus White. I mean, yeah. it's basically is is the team. So they're just going to try and split it up. And I think it's going to be Emo versus... Ga- uh, no, Emo versus Glitter. Some, something some like that. Some silly... Like, so it'll be kind of a fun dress-up yeah. you know, situation. There is a history of doing, like, you know... Playing games, expo games at at RollerCon, which is this huge like festival of roller skating in, in Las Vegas, Vegas. I went this year. And there's, I mean, you could talk to it. Like, there's this history of doing scrimmages of kind of like strippers versus uh, chippers, yeah, yeah, or something. And, you know, so there's like a history of of that. I, I don't think that we're quite that um, that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, Derby does have a like a humorous side too. That, yeah. you know, it's got a good sense of humor. So. Unofficial games will be, yeah, like at RollerCon, there was like a Average Joe's versus um, Global World Gym from Dodgeball. Um, people like to dress up. It doesn't affect the game necessarily. I mean, people are still playing hard derby out there. We're just doing it with a costume on <laughs> and full gear. <laughs> so it definitely, it does have that WWE style that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you try and come up with a name... Like most people will try and have some sort of pun. Yeah, we all have nicknames. Nobody really knows each other's yeah, real names. Yeah, and Clover, you guys are throwing yeah. that around. <laughs> well, my full name is Clover Kill, mm-hmm. and and I'm Slam Chowder. Yeah, Slam Chowder. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so you, we don't always know each other's names actually, and sometimes 
people will say, oh, I know so-and-so on the Derby team. And you're like, I don't know who that is. But <laughs> but you do, I mean, some of us know each other outside of Derby. You know, this is a small community. So a lot of us know each other in multiple ways. But um, a lot of us would never have met if it wasn't for Derby. And that's what I really like about it is I've gotten to meet all these people that I definitely never would have known. And you get super close to them. And it doesn't really matter what else is going on in your life. You can appreciate this this time that you spend together and that you're a part of this team and you're, you're all trying to do something, you know, together. Yeah. I love it. I look forward to Derby every day. It's great. <laughs> well, that's, what's beautiful about team sports mm-hmm. is you can build that camaraderie with each other. Even if you don't know who this other person is, where they come from, their yeah. background, what their job is, you're coming together to do this one thing for whatever amount of time. And then you go back to your other life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me about this. Yeah, I think so much. hopefully people will come out for the September 30th show, show some support. And that's at Redwood Acres. Yep. People that don't know. Mm-hmm. Redwood Always Acres. at Redwood Acres. People can come watch scrimmages too if they want to. Um, I've had, I've known a couple of people who came out to scrimmages to try and learn the game. And then they come to, like, they become fans. Often it's because they know somebody who's playing. But definitely the games are a step up. Like, they're more exciting. You can drink beer. You can, you know, people around you are cheering. And, and so, and it's, it's loud. Like, there is an announcer. There's also a DJ and a live band. So, it's like just noise on noise. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Great fun. Um, we, yeah, 6 o'clock, game starts. Uh, doors open at 5.30. Uh, the second game will follow when the first game is done. Doubleheader. You can get your tickets online at HumboldtRollerDerby.com or at Still or Wildberries Marketplace. That's my full pitch. You can also buy them at the door, but they're more expensive. <laughs> so get them online. Get them online. <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Anything else? We just plug I think that was it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah I think on uh, October 21st is our, our next game on the books. Um, That's follow- another home game? Another home 21st? game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Follow us on social media. We, you know, we always are posting about our... Um, uh, free public scrimmages and we do fundraising events also around the community um i don't think we have any on the books right now but like we poured beer at oyster fest so you know it was fun to see everybody come out and say hi yeah instagram facebook all humble roller, humble roller derby, derby. Mm-hmm. okay yeah. we've got a boot camp another one will start in the spring yeah so if if people are interested in skating they can email recruitment at humble roller derby.com and get all the information or just look at at our website and training camps start basically every semester. So like August to December, January to May. And we welcome anybody who wants to come out and try as long as you can stand up on your skates, we can try and teach you how to do the rest. Mm -hmm. And you do have to have like, you know, knee pads, elbow pads, helmet, wrist guards. But other than that, you know, whatever roller skates you have, it works. And, you know, people have come out and you know, maybe they have kind of old gear or we can loan them gear. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it can be pretty low commitment at first, but I think that once you try it, you really get hooked. I mean, you got to buy the nicest stuff. And then you buy (laughs) nice stuff. Yeah, get some better gear. Even if you don't plan on joining the team, it's just a great way to get exercise and meet people. And we also always need officials and often our officials are on skates. We have skating officials. So we need people to do that too. So if you don't want to get hit, be an official. <laughs> yeah. Still be a part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, I mean, cause we are a nonprofit. We have a board. So like one of our board members now is going through the camp and she just wanted to learn how to skate better. You know, some people 
one of the most important things in skating is stopping. And I'm always shocked. That's probably true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always I shocked. That. I mean, if you go to if you go to a skate rink, so many people don't know how to skate. They know how to go forward, and then they just run into a wall. And so, one of the things we teach people, one of the very first things, is how do you stop? And there's many ways to do it. <laughs> there's many ways to stop. And Actually, there's like four ways, right? Sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a great skill. Yeah, stopping would be pretty important. Otherwise, it's not going to be a graceful stop. I'm just picturing people at roller rinks and... Oh, you, you just seen, run into the Yeah, wall. people have some pretty gnarly wipeouts. Or you run into somebody else and knock them down and then that's <laughs> your stopping method. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what you want. Or people who are outside, I think a lot of people have been trail skating, you know, learning how to skate just as, you know, to get around and enjoy the outdoors. And I think that a lot of them could come to L1 and, and just learn how to skate a little bit better and they'll be more comfortable doing outdoor skating too. Yeah. And maybe branch into roller derby in the process. You never know. Yeah. If that happens, I mean. We have a lot of crossovers, I think, now, especially after the pandemic. A lot of folks who do both. They're really different kinds of skating, though. Trail skating and park skating and derby and skating. skating. Yeah. yeah. A lot of different techniques. What is trail skating? Like Just actually like outside. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> outside on paved concrete. Okay. I was thinking, is there oh. some skate that would be. Yeah. It's usually like on the. You know, like on the waterfront trail. Yeah, or, I was thinking trails like, oh, we're going to go out towards. <laughs> yeah. They actually the do forest. make roller skates with wheels for trails now, but I think they're very exclusive and I've n- never tried it. <laughs> and I feel like roller bladers might have better mm-hmm. luck, that kind of thing. I mean, that is one thing about our sport is we skate on, quad you know, skates. quad skates. And those skates uh, are a little bit rougher when you're outdoors. Like it's a little harder to skate outdoors, but they're a lot more nimble for going laterally. Mm-hmm. So we all skate on quad skates. There's probably a rule against rollerblades, too. Yeah, I don't think that we do. It's not allowed. No, no rollerblades. Is it just that mobility aspect that makes them more advantageous? Because you could get more speed on an inline blade, right? Rollerblades yeah. are faster. Yeah. But... Uh, I mean, one of our, you know, key blocking techniques is a plow stop, which is basically, you know, you have your skates on and you're putting one skate out um, in sort of a pushing motion laterally forward and you could not do that on rollerblades imagine a snowplow and skiing you're doing that yeah like the and so you can't really do that on inline skates and on quad skates you're like very stable that way Mm -hmm. so having multiple edges is a big advantage to having quad skates and toe stops and toe stops yeah the Mm -hmm. the main way we stop is with the toe stop we walk around on them too and you walk around on them you can run around on them and and to stop on your toe stops, you just turn around really fast and put your toes down. If you can imagine, you have to turn around and toe stop. Mm-hmm. So so that's another thing we teach you is how do you flip around real fast, you know, so that you can put your toes down. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of technique in there. Yeah, I would not toe stop. I'd be like, okay, we're just going to come to a slow roll and then we're good. That would be my stopping. Just got to somersault out of it. Yeah. <laughs> just sit down and slide and then come to a stop. I mean, one of the first things they do in training camp is practicing how to fall, you know, like, because you have knee pads on. So one of the ways you can stop legitimately is just drop your knee and like slide on your knee. That'll slow you down. That's That's a legitimate stop. You but, get really used to falling in roller derby. Yeah. It's like second yeah. nature. You have to. Yeah. You're going to get comfortable with hitting the ground. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, hopefully people will check this out and go support you guys. Yeah. Thanks Maybe for having us. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I it appreciate you guys coming It was great talking to you. Um, 
We plugged everything Humboldt Roller Derby, the website, HumboldtRollerDerby.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys.